<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win this. Oh picture. god, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we discuss a movie we've all seen, our weekend entertainment, and an artist whose career we'd like to put in focus. That is the format for our regular episodes, but once a month we release a special episode on our Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash talkmovietome. It is a platform where creators can be supported by people that consume their content so such as you listening to this right now to become a member of our patreon it is three dollars a month us or four dollars canadian and you will get access to those special episodes once a month and support our podcast and help us to continue to record these episodes for you and next week the episode we are releasing is a special valentine's day episode and that will only be available to patreon members let's start the episode i'm helen i'm miss sinclair and i'm edison and this week things are heating up and we don't just mean because of that florida sunshine baby this episode we're discussing oscar and emmy-winning actress regina king's directorial debut one night in miami adapted for the screen by kemp powers based off of his own 2013 play of the same name one night in miami is the fictional account of what happened when four black icons spend an evening together on the night of february 25th 1964 this was a night that boxer cassius clay prior to changing his name to Muhammad Ali, defeated Sonny Liston for the heavyweight championship title. After the match, Cassius, played by Eli Gore, gathers at a hotel room with football pro Jim Brown, played by Aldous Hodge, music superstar Sam Cooke, played by Leslie Odom Jr., and activist Malcolm X, played by Kingsley Benadire. What follows is an impassioned conversation between these giants of American culture about what it means to be famous and successful black men at this incredibly crucial time in the midst of the civil rights movement. One Night in Miami asks the question, does the power of having a public platform come with the responsibility to use that platform to speak out against the injustices of our time? Helen, first impression. So my first impression immediately upon starting this movie I realized I knew absolutely nothing about it. All I knew was this was directed by Regina King. I had no idea what the plot was. I had no idea what time it was set in. Not Literally nothing. Oh, wow. I just hadn't read about it yet. I, I just had heard about her directing it and heard it was getting acclaimed, but had zero idea. And it was actually really cool to go into a <laughs> film knowing absolutely nothing about it because I had no pre- conceived ideas about Wild. the film so that was my first thought as i started the film <laughs> sinclair first impression for me i had heard that this film is an imagining of what went on this night in miami between mm-hmm. these four historical figures but when the film opens up it starts by saying inspired by true events so i was instantly wondering what's going to be true What's fiction? And that really did set the stage for my viewing of this film. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. 
Um, so for me, the film opens at Wembley Stadium as Cassius Clay is boxing Henry the Hammer Cooper. And mm-hmm. I, I'm so sorry for being so completely basic, <laughs> but my first impression is that the actor who's playing Cassius Clay <laughs> is so charismatic and playful and outrageously, absurdly attractive that I don't mm. even know or care what is happening. so basic but that was my first impression so why don't we get into the meat of uh the no see my mind right in the gutter Um... (laughs) okay well why don't we get this into the basics let's start with storytelling the basics yeah (laughs) okay so for me the this film sort of feels like a bit like it happens in two parts right the first half hour is really the backstory of each of these characters at this point in time leading up to the the night in Miami. So we get these kind of backstory sequences, right, at the beginning. And it's like telling about where Cassius Clay is. He's in this boxing match in England, right? He's just starting to kind of develop his public persona and that, like, swagger. We've got Sam Cooke playing at the Copacabana with a room full of white people and getting humiliated. We've got Jim Brown, who's like the best football player at his time, having this interaction on this island in Georgia with somebody who he very clearly like looked up to, who then calls him the N-word. And then Malcolm X, who is having to deal with everything that he was dealing with at the time, right? And being followed and all the rest of it. And that Mm -hmm. kind of sets it up. And to be honest, Mm -hmm. I found this part of the film quite slow. It wasn't until they actually got to the hotel room that it felt like a different movie occurred and it like took off. For me Mm -hmm. so in terms of storytelling i'm not i haven't read the play or seen the play i'm not sure if that like backstory component is part of it but it for the film i'm not sure that it worked that sort of brings me into my first point this movie has a lot of similarities to ma rainey's black bottom that we discussed a few episodes ago both adapted from a play talking about black struggles in different points of time in the 20th century i do find that both films suffer a little bit from adapting a stage play into film and I also haven't read the play but I gather that that whole first aspect of the movie that you're talking about does not occur like I would assume that the play is just the hotel room with these four actors that makes the most sense to be a stage play right Mm -hmm. and I mean I yeah I felt that same kind of thing with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom where there were aspects there were elements that were inserted that you could tell were put in there because it was a film but didn't necessarily work with the flow of the real meat of the story. And it, yeah, it does, it does come up against that adapting stage plays to film because the mediums can be very different and stage plays tend to be very dialogue heavy. And this film is, is quite dialogue heavy as well. Mm-hmm. How did you feel it was adapted, Sinclair? Well, I thought this was adapted a, a, a lot better actually than yeah Ma Rainey for sure mm-hmm. like if I had to pair, compare the two because we have mm-hmm. discussed two plays that have been turned into films like very recently mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was just a couple episodes with ago. kind of similar subject matter yeah uh the first part of the film with those introduction scenes actually didn't bother me too much I actually had no idea who Jim Brown was mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. in in that aspect that helped out a little bit Mm. instead of just having these four characters suddenly appear in this hotel room and me going, okay, wait, who, what? Okay. He's a football player. Mm. Oh, I'm familiar with Sam cook and Mm -hmm. I'm familiar with the other two, but Mm -hmm. not all four of them. Right. So I found that that was, that, that didn't bother me too much. 
honestly, I, I liked this film. I enjoyed it. My only problem really with it wasn't even the adaptation of it. I thought it was actually mm. pretty well adapted. Mm. My issue was the fact that I didn't know what was true and what wasn't. Mm. So I was constantly going, oh, did, did Sam Cook really feel that way? Did right. Jackie Wilson really try to sabotage him? You know, in that amazing yeah. scene where he's oh, singing Chain So game. incredible. I was like, did, did that really happen that way? Mm. Did somebody actually set Malcolm X's house on fire? Did that he... Happened. That Okay, so <laughs> yeah. that, that happened, I guess. Did this type of relationship really occur between Sam Cooke and Malcolm X? Were there tensions there? I think that it, it is really fascinating to imagine the conversation these great minds and talents would have. And I also think it's a really creative way to challenge different ideologies through these famous people. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't let go of the fact that I mm. wanted to know what was real and what was it. So Kemp Powers, who wrote the screenplay, has described this as a work of fiction powered by the truth. Mm-hmm. And I get that in terms of I think the themes and the political and societal issues are true and they're being channeled through these real historical figures. But there's this fictional spin and also creative liberties to this as well. So it is tough to balance that. I do think it's blended quite well, but my curiosity still got the best of me. A lot of this film and I wanted to start Googling different things to see what was fact and what was fiction. Mm. That's really interesting. Yeah. So I actually read a very interesting article, Smithsonian article about that really went in depth about what was true and what mm-hmm. we don't know. If, is it true or not? And these four men did all celebrate Muhammad Ali's win or Cassius Clay's win in that hotel mm-hmm. that night. They, The four of them all were together in that room. The thing that's fictionalized is the conversations. The content mm-hmm. of they the don't know. Yeah. yeah, they don't know if those conversations happened that way. And there actually are a number of historical inaccuracies in the things that they talk about that I found alarming to to discover afterwards. Most alarming being the way that Sam Cooke is portrayed in this film. Jack Hamilton wrote a kind of scathing review of this film for Slate. Because he's a huge Sam Cooke fan Mm. and thought it didn't portray Sam Cooke very well. Mainly that conflict between Malcolm X and Sam Cooke. Because Change is Gonna Come had actually been written before this night. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He had had a like humiliating performance at the Copacabana, but that was in the late 50s. He had just recently had a really successful string of performances at the Copacabana. It does kind of twist... Sam Cooke's narrative or trajectory I think in a rather manipulative way and I did see I did read another piece about the fact that Jim Brown has been accused of multiple assaults and rapes against women and that this whole facet of his personality isn't touched upon and sort of like the lack of any sort of female presence in this film so yeah I mean in that sense there is an element of fantasy here I think of what we would like to think happened or like to think these conversations, how they went, you know? Yeah. And I I guess for me, I will tell you, I did exactly zero research after in terms of what was true and what wasn't. <laughs> and I gave mm. exactly zero shits while watching it about what was true and what wasn't in terms of their mm. conversation. I don't know why, but when I watched it, I 
as soon as they got into that hotel room, I was just so completely and utterly pulled in by mm-hmm. their conversation and by the performances and the chemistry that they all have with one another. Like, I thought this movie took off flying at that point. And I loved it. I love the conversations. We'll get into the themes of this film mm-hmm. for sure. Particularly the that conversations between Sam Cooke and Malcolm X about the responsibility of using your voice, right? And that mm-hmm. conflict between public persona and your personal convictions and like how much do you are you willing to put at risk by airing your thoughts publicly? I loved all of that. I'm not I guess I'm not as invested personally in any of these men in real life to to have followed up to be like wait a minute is this exactly what they stood by or how they believed Mm. whereas I was watching it almost as a like understanding it as a fictional conversation Mm -hmm. yeah also part of it is that it is inspired by you know the lives of these men at the time and the time this happened three months after JFK was assassinated and Lyndon Johnson became president. The Civil Rights Act is happening right now. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. these are things that are impacting the story that are real events and that are impacting yeah. their conversation, right? Well, there's definitely truth sprinkled throughout this film in terms of events and then the truth of the themes. Like I said, I, I enjoyed watching this film. And I liked it despite of taking lip creative liberty because I really liked watching these characters challenge each other's ideology. I thought that mm-hmm. was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I'm the same as you, Edison. I was really fascinated with the Malcolm X, Sam Cooke debates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that conversation is just such a big conversation. You know, Sam thinks he's yeah. really taken a step forward having this musical success, but Malcolm X feels he's pandering to white audiences. Mm-hmm. And watching that go back and forth and play out was just really compelling to watch. I think this is a conversation that is still had today and it's had with anybody who is in the minority, an oppressed minority, right? What is your responsibility? Sam Cooke was saying, I'm making a lot of money. I'm generating wealth. I'm employing all of these people and black people and passing the money down. And Malcolm Mm -hmm. X is saying, that's not enough. That's slow. Mm -hmm. You have a giant platform. You have literally a voice that everyone listens to. Mm -hmm. So you have to use more. When he played that Bob Dylan song and you could see how powerful that moment was, right? I loved their dynamic. Well, in Malcolm X, I'm quite grateful, actually, that I recently watched the Malcolm X movie with Denzel Washington. Yes. Because it was interesting to watch his character. And and I do think that the film takes his side, but he's not without fault. Yeah. And I actually think that that's where this film is really, really great. Another way is it shows these men. These are icons of culture right Mm -hmm. they are very often deified in the pop culture conversation and i appreciated that this film showed different sides of them and i i was reading an interview with kemp powers and he said quote when people talk about representation and seeing themselves on screen to a certain extent it's like you want to see positive images you want to see us be Mm. heroes you want to see the black guy make it to the end of the horror movie But for me, representation is also seeing us as complete human beings, Mm -hmm. right? One of the keys to our humanity is empathy and vulnerability. And I think that when it comes to the portrayal of black characters on screen, people are afraid to show vulnerability. Mm. And I thought that was really smart because you have somebody like Malcolm X who is incredibly full of conviction and fought and died for exactly what he stood for, right? And his beliefs. But you also see his vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. 
One thing I did appreciate about how they chose to show this story was it could have just been four characters stuck in a room talking, but I actually did like how this film took breaks from that hotel room. Mm -hmm. We got to see Sam Cooke flashing to that concert where he sings Chain Gang. Mm-hmm. And it was so much more powerful to see that moment than to have yeah. Malcolm X in that hotel room just telling us about that night. Yes. You do need to see these characters interact with the world a little mm-hmm. bit in this film. And it does give you a break from just being confined to that space. Mm-hmm. I also just have to say that I did like the fact that this movie was directed by Regina King. This is a movie yeah. about four very powerful famous men in history Mm -hmm. and is directed by a woman and Mm -hmm. i don't think this film would be easy to direct at all i think that Mm. for a first feature film this would be really daunting yeah (laughs) oh my god absolutely yeah i i I think she did an incredible job taking this Mm -hmm. on for sure it was such a assured and confident Mm -hmm. debut film it was fantastic so why don't we get into the performances Because as you said, Helen, this is a very dialogue-heavy film. Mm -hmm. The performances are really front and center here. So let's get into it. Yeah. I mean, my favorite performance, hands down, was actually Eli Gore as Cassius Clay. I could not help but just be enamored by him. He has, he's charming and charismatic, but he also has like a mischief to him that I found so fun. And just like, like even that moment at the beginning where he says, he like goes and looks in the mirror and they're all worried about him. And he's like, how am I so good looking? <laughs> <laughs> how am I so pretty? Like yeah. he was, yeah, my favorite. he like, I found him a lot of fun to watch. Like my eyes went to him more than anyone else. I think. I, I so agree. It's so funny. Like the whole time I was watching it, I could not place him. It was driving me crazy. Oh, and then yeah. I realized that he's, a, he's a side character on Riverdale. He plays Mad Dog, right. right? Archie's friend. It's a it's a small role. It would definitely was not a role that showed any ounce of the type of range that he offers in this. Mm-hmm. And so I think he must have had to fight and audition hard to get this role. Yeah. Um, but yeah. he kills it. It's so funny because that character can come across really Very arrogant. Very arrogant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that he doesn't at all. No. And, and it's lovable. It's a lovable kind of like bravado. Yeah, I love the performances in this. My favorite really was Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam. He was my second. Yeah. That voice. His voice is incredible. (laughs) But not only is his his voice amazing, but he also really sounds like Sam Cooke. Yeah. In this. And just watching him sing makes you want to be able to sing like that. But can you imagine opening your mouth and just pure glorious melted butter comes out seriously yeah it's just incredible his voice is like butter it's so smooth so amazing so so amazing it gave me chills and when he sang that rendition of Mm. change is gonna come yeah i I was like oh thank god they put that in the film because it was just an amazing moment it's chilling like yeah really 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 brilliant i also just loved Kingsley Vanadier. I thought he was amazing mm. as Malcolm X. And this is a hard role to play just because mm-hmm. it's Malcolm X. So that's just daunting to begin with. Mm-hmm. But also, when I think of actor portrayals of Malcolm X, I think of Denzel Washington. Of course. Mm-hmm. Right away. So that's definitely a hard role to take on. But I thought mm-hmm. he had an amazing 
and powerful presence and just a maturity and a poise to him. I hung on every word he said. I also thought he was one of the most handsome actors I've ever seen. Mm. <laughs> Very handsome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that I love that he was able to convey the most intense conviction and also just exhaustion like within the same scene. I, yeah, I thought it was a fantastic performance as well. They all were. Aldous Hodge was the weakest of the four of them. He didn't have as much to do. That character was not interesting to me. Mm. There wasn't as much to work with. I I didn't latch on to that character at all. Mm. But I mean, yes, definitely objectively great performances all around. Okay, so we're actually going to end this little discussion with a fun little game. (laughs) We're going to end this by us getting to choose three important figures or people we admire, icons, whatever you want. Who would you want to be in a hotel room with? Three people Mm -hmm. you get to pick. Who would you want to spend a night in a hotel room with? Just talking, debating, discussing, just overall general life chats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll go first. Number one would be Carol King. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love to have her in there. Talk about some music writing. Talk about Tapestry, one of the best albums of all time. Ruth Bader Ginsburg mm-hmm. would love to talk to that woman about being a woman and just praise her. <laughs> and then my last pick is any person that died on the Titanic. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just really want to talk to somebody that was on the Titanic and just hear all about it. <laughs> So you want them to recount their horrifying experience of meeting their demise. <laughs> I also just want to know what it was like before wow, the fun iceberg. night. Here's, here's what it was like. They got hit by an iceberg and all drowned and died. I said before. <laughs> and I would like to get their opinion. I would like to show them the Titanic movie and get their opinion on its accuracy. Fair. <laughs> uh, Sinclair, who's in your hotel room? This was actually a way harder exercise than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. But I ended up going with Kurt Cobain mm-hmm. because, I mean, I love grunge. And just mm-hmm. what would that be like? That would just be yeah. an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm also choosing French philosopher Albert Camus <laughs> so we could just talk about life and death and the absurdity mm-hmm. of the universe. Then I thought that I would throw in Greta Gerwig because oh. I just feel like she would just lighten the mood, but also yeah. have really great takes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she would balance out the moodiness of Kurt Cobain and also mm-hmm. just the existentialism of Albert Camus. And she would just have good vibes. She would just bring you a just good, like shoot the shit with her. intelligent energy. And we can just talk about film as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like that would be a fun night. That would be fun, yeah. yeah. Okay, Mm -hmm. Edison. Okay, so I would pick Steven Spielberg as one of mine. I would want to talk to him all about the experience with Jaws and all of his other films and just life in Hollywood and just everything. I just want to talk to him about movies and how he, like where these ideas came from and how he made everything. I would pick Whitney. Of course, yes. 100%. (laughs) I've never gotten to see her live. I I just would do, I just can't even, I would do anything to have a conversation with Whitney. She didn't even have Aww. to sing for me. I would also trap her in the hotel room and never let her out until she was detoxed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I would pick 
Thor. Because eventually Whitney <laughs> and Spielberg are going to have to go to bed. And honey, it's a hotel room. Okay, right. <laughs> That's fair. So he's purely there for physical purposes, not for the conversation. Well, he could also talk to me about Asgard. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is the last word on One Night in Miami? Helen. Last word for me. I think that One Night in Miami is a compelling invention of what could have taken place on February 25th, 1964. I think that it asks more questions than it answers. Mm-hmm. Edison? Last word for me is I found the first 30 minutes of this to be a little bit slow. So it did, it did actually take me a bit to get into it. But once it took off, I was completely and utterly enamored. I thought it was really creative and wonderful and I just loved the conversations and the dialogue that was happening here yeah I rushed to see this at the nearest theater and by that I mean Amazon Prime because obviously <laughs> rush to your couch yeah <laughs> Sinclair oh, here <laughs> last word for me despite me doing a lot of googling afterwards <laughs> which let's be honest I would have done anyway I'm always googling everything mm-hmm. all the time <laughs> I really enjoyed this film. I thought that this had amazing performances. I was in love with Leslie Odom Jr.'s voice. I couldn't get it out of my head. I thought it was amazing. I think this film has really good moments and some really compelling debates. So overall, I think this was a pretty good adaptation. And I think it's a good watch. Really interesting watch. Please begin seated in a cross-legged position. Close your eyes. Focus on your breath. Inhale through your nose. Exhale through your mouth. Quiet your mind. You are standing on a path, barefoot. You wriggle your toes in the warm sand. Beach grass swaying in the breeze. The path meanders up the sand dune just in front of you and you can hear waves gently lapping at the shore beyond. You taste the salt of the ocean air on your lips. There's another sound too, which, though muffled, is instantly recognizable. A sort of cackle, which beckons you forward. Reaching the crest of the dune, you wipe the sweat from your brow. It's not your fault that you're out of breath. We've been in a friggin' pandemic, don't you know? Just below you, you spot three familiar figures. Sure enough, there's the source of the cackle, Edison, shrieking as he frolics in the waves like some relentlessly joyful toddler. Miss Sinclair is curled up under an umbrella in a full black turtleneck reading Edgar Allan Poe. You can't look at her for long because those legs haven't seen sunlight in years and they're positively blinding white. Truth. Helen is a picture of beachful bliss, strumming on her guitar and singing Carol King. Ah, you sigh. Nothing like old friends at the beach. Each week, we challenge ourselves to watch films that fit a particular theme. This week's theme is The Beach is That Way. This is our week in entertainment. (laughs) (laughs) That was wonderful and so soothing. And really, really accurate. I find that all of these guided meditations always use the word meandering. (laughs) 
Uh huh. You have to meander <laughs> you have in to these meander. calm, tranquil moments. Yeah. One doesn't stomp up the sand dune when they are <laughs> yeah. meditating, Sinclair. You still would. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I would not be going up a sand dune. Let's be right. Real. She'd be wearing like black army boots. We'd have like fl- flops or like not even have our shoes on, and she'd be like stomping around in boots. You will never catch me in flip flops. <laughs> Yeah, I've never seen you wear flip-flops, ever. Absolutely not. No one has ever seen her feet. No, absolutely (laughs) not. Do you have feet? (laughs) Okay, who's up first? Helen, go. Oh, boy. Okay. You guys ready for this? (laughs) I don't know. So I watched a film from 2019 called Serenity. Like sci-fi Serenity? Oh, no, Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Oh my God, this one. Oh, dear. Okay. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm just going to start. Before I say anything, I'm just going to let you all know that this has a 20% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. I've heard really bad things. (laughs) And I knew that. I knew that going into it. I was like, I know this is really, really bad. If it was only a little bit bad, I probably wouldn't have watched it. But because I knew it was really bad, I really actually wanted to see what all the fuss was about right so this is written and directed by Stephen knight starring matthew mcconaughey and anne hathaway matthew mcconaughey plays baker dill a fisherman living on idyllic plymouth island who's obsessed with catching an elusive giant tuna fish he names justice (laughs) he's visited by his ex-wife karen played by anne hathaway who offers him 10 million dollars to take her abusive current husband out on a fishing trip and return without him. Let me talk about the beach aspect of it first. This was filmed on Mauritius. And Mauritius is an island nation in the Indian Ocean. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah, impossible. Mm. (laughs) And it absolutely, like, made me yearn for a a beach vacation. Oh, my God. And, you know, if you watch this movie with the sound off and no subtitles, it would probably be okay Mm. like just get to see shirtless matthew mcconaughey and a beautiful beach it's like okay like that might actually be enjoyable treat it as a pretty screensaver yeah Mm. yeah exactly this is a like meant to be like a sexy neo-noir film but it does not do that successfully at all you know there are modern day noir films like Brick for example where they use that dialogue but it they use it in the right way and this film does not do that at all the dialogue is abysmal it is just mind-blowingly bad there's just there are these glaring moments that seem very unusual that do get explained I will say and I'm gonna spoil this movie for you guys I hope that's okay that's that's quite fine okay (laughs) Diane Lane is in this film. She plays a character named Constance, who is essentially, uh, Matthew McConaughey is essentially her gigolo. Mm -hmm. And the first time that we see her, they're finishing up having sex. And she says, Mr. Baker Dill, I am increasingly fond of the way you say hello. Like, that's the kind of dialogue that we're working with here. Um, So then Anne Hathaway does come to the island and she is trying to contract him to kill her husband, her abusive husband. And they have a son from their previous marriage who Matthew McConaughey has this weird, like, telepathic connection with. Oh. 
And Anne Hathaway makes these remarks of like, he can hear you when you talk to him. And you're just like, what kind of mystical weird shit is happening here? He has The Shining. It sounds like he has The Shining. Not quite. Or it sounds like <laughs> McConaughey has shared some of his bong. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, just wait till you hear what the real reason is. So the twist in this film is that this entire world is a video game. What? what? That, yeah. That Matthew McConaughey's son has created to distract himself from the domestic violence that's happening in his house <laughs> with Anne Hathaway and the and the husband. And Matthew McConaughey starts to realize that he's actually just a part of a video game and is being hired to kill the dad in the video game. But it means that if he kills the dad in the video game, that the son actually kills the dad in real life. So like Black Mirror shit. Kind of, yeah. Um, and that sort of explains why the dialogue's so clunky and why there's all these like logistical things that just make absolutely no sense. Is the son a like a video game creator? Is He's he a, a teenager. You do get these like <laughs> Uh, in bits of information about him that he's this like reclusive teenager that just sits in his room on his on his computer all day playing a game so he does so Matthew McConaughey does kill the husband meaning that the son in real life kills the husband and then Matthew McConaughey has this like existential crisis at the end where he's like obviously not real but how would he die in real life Oh, Sinclair, don't ask these questions. Uh, no. <laughs> but that's a legit question. Like how if he died in the game, but it's a game that this husband is not playing, how would Magic. he die in real life? Magic Sinclair. Is he attached to the game somehow? The husband is a character within the game, but it, it doesn't make any fucking sense. There's, There's no just use in no trying way to someone this to you. would die randomly no. in the world. There's also in, no in way the... that, that, could, that a video game like the, Sinclair... I just, the, I'm just trying to make sense of this. You can't. You can't I think that's but, the point. So, so it, do, it does show that in the real world, the son stabs the husband in real life. So it's not the game that kills the husband. It's the son that kills no, him but just with is, a knife in like, real life, not the game. It, makes, it doesn't make any fucking sense. It doesn't make any fucking sense. And they try and do this M. Night Shyamalan twist at the end to be like, this is why this movie is so weird because it's a video game. You're like, okay (laughs) am i supposed to be impressed by this like it is bonkers it's so fucking bad i'm sorry it's called serenity yeah his (laughs) boat is is called serenity there's also these weird like allusions to aa and alcoholism because matthew mcconaughey's character is an alcoholic and uh, it doesn't matter so they've thrown everything possible into this yeah it's a terrible, terrible film, and I actually I feel sort of bad that I've spoiled it now because I do actually think people should watch it just for the absurdity of it because it's so fucking bad. Stephen Knight, who wrote and directed this movie, also wrote Locked Down with Anne Hathaway. Oh, no. Um, who thought that was a good idea? I know. I know. It's just, it's just all of it is, I throw my hands up. Like, I don't, I just, yeah. So Serenity, it's on Netflix. It's, it's. Uh, a movie it's a movie it's it is a movie she has no words i have no words addison what did you pick for the beaches that way all right so um my film this week takes us on a journey to a hidden beach in mexico it's almost impossibly beautiful 
azure waters, white sand, tranquil tropical breeze, some locals surfing on the perfectly curled waves, and Blake Lively with her sun-kissed golden skin and beachy blonde hair. (laughs) Everything just seems so perfect in The Shallows. From mm-hmm. 2016, directed by Jaume Collette Seurat. Okay, so you have you both seen this? Yes. Yeah. So I saw it when it came out at the theaters, and I haven't watched it since. But I remembered really liking it at the time, and I was like, oh, I'm in the mood for this. Let me rewatch it and mm-hmm. see if it's actually good. You know what I mean? If it still holds up. This film, surprisingly good. And yeah. I think that was the energy when it came out, too. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, the story is very simple, right? Blake Lively... Her mom has died, and so she is revisiting the secret beach that her mom went to when she was pregnant with Blake Lively's character. And mm-hmm. she, there's this video and picture of them there. So it's this kind of catharsis moment. Unfortunately, it goes awry. So she's out surfing, and then she spots a whale carcass like floating nearby. So any person who spends any time in the water surfing anything knows that if you see a whale carcass in the water, you go nowhere near it because obviously if there's any sharks anywhere nearby, that is where they're going to be feasting Mm. on that dead whale. Free meal right there. She would have never done that probably, but anyway, that's fine. We'll just let that slide. (laughs) So she swims over to it. Then the shark comes and she gets attacked. It only gets her leg and she ends up on a rock. So then the whole film is, that's it. It's her on a rock and the shark circling And then like little moments where she kind of dips into the water to grab a camera that's floating there or like tries to get to a buoy that's nearby. And it's absolutely terrifying to watch. The suspense is really, really well built and well developed Mm -hmm. through this. And Blake Lively really holds the camera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like, great she, in it. Blake yeah. Lively is a good actress, you guys. No, yeah. I know she is. And yeah. she's she's strong. She's she carries this film. It's just mm-hmm. her, really. She's a leading actress. She has the right yeah. kind of presence for that. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was so good. It was actually really, really great. And I remember when it came out, everybody was really shocked at like, oh wait, this movie just looked like B movie schlock. And uh, actually was better than it thought and became a hit. Like on a budget of $17 million, yeah. it made $120 million at the box office. I just loved it. Yeah, my one thing with, with this movie was that it had, it started with a realism to it where it had this mm. like open water vibe mm. to it. Mm. But then it went to this like deep blue sea action kind of movie, yes. which right. I just wish it would have stuck with the more realism aspect of it it went Mm. very angelina jolly in tomb raider 2 where she punches the shark in the face like it just got too (laughs) it got too deep blue sea by the end where i was like does this what which one does this movie want to be yeah i can't argue with that i think that that's probably pretty fair and and it's totally totally true I did also absolutely love Deep Blue Sea, so that didn't bother me. I loved it too, but but Deep Blue Sea was like that through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It knew what it was, yes. Yeah, where this one is like a half and half deal. But I will say that the shark death in this is pretty badass. It's a great popcorn watch. Yes, yeah, 100%. Yeah. It really is, yeah. Sinclair, what did you pick? Okay, I watched a very strange movie called Evolution from 2015. Hmm. It's directed by Lucille Hadzihalilovic. And I discovered that this is actually the wife of Gaspar Noe. Oh, wow. Yes. Let me tell you that these two make quite the pair. 
because this movie mm. was something else. Yeah? Yes. Like, I, I can see these two as a couple now after I've seen okay. this film. Evolution follows this young boy named Nicholas who, along with a bunch of other young boys, live on this island that's very remote. And it's run by these women who are like mother figures, but they are very odd. They look like women, but they have very aquatic, amphibious Ooh. qualities to them yeah. that you notice. They have very like odd features. And we don't know where this island is or who these women are, but they seem to be conducting these experiments on these young boys. Then they make them drink this weird substance and they feed them <laughs> these very like earthy looking bowls of gruel. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very strange happenings. <laughs> I'm so dreading wherever the hell this is going. I know. It's all very of the earth. Nicholas is this very curious boy who is trying to actually make sense of where he is. So he's like, something isn't right with this island. Something's not right with these women. Who am I? What is this place? What is life? What is life? And this is all taking place on this really beautiful solitary island on the beach. There are a ton of underwater shots in this film that are some of the most breathtaking underwater mm. shots that I've ever seen. Mm. This film is so atmospheric. It's just very salty and sandy mm -hmm. you feel really en engulfed in this movie just okay. just visually and atmospherically and now back to the weirdness <laughs> actually i'm gonna say if anybody's interested in watching this and you don't want to know anything about it because sometimes it is better to go into these strange movies not knowing anything skip forward now mm -hmm. i'm gonna give you a couple beach sounds here So Nicholas ends up sneaking out to the beach one night and he follows these weird women. He peers over at the beach and he sees this weird orgy going on on the beach well, of course. in the sand. <laughs> so these weird amphibious type women, they're having this orgy in the sand. It's some sort of weird mating ritual. And they're like writhing around and they're passing something back and forth. And it's all very weird. Uh -huh. So, okay. This is when it gets even weirder. So it turns out that these women are actually impregnating these boys through mm -hmm. a medical procedure on this island. Wow. Yes. The boys are actually carrying these babies. And I think that these babies are what these women become. They're creating this completely different species. Edison looks really confused right now. So they're like mer they're mer mermaids, basically. They're sea sirens. They're creating some sort of weird ocean human hybrid like okay. you see shots of these women later on in the film and they have like suction cups on their back like a squid would have or the thing that you use to hold your shampoo in the shower <laughs> the thing that like sticks on the wall like that's yeah, what the yeah. backs of these women look like they're like creating this weird species this evolution of some sort how do they impregnate the boys they impregnate the boys oh, by... Oh, dear. Do you really want the answer to that, Helen? Yes, yes. she does. So okay. They impregnate the boys with some sort of weird thing that they've got during the beach orgy. They're okay. conducting medical experiments on them, so they, like, put it in them. Through How? An Where? Through, a, like, a in their belly button through an incision. <laughs> 
I love this. Keep going. So they like <laughs> place it in to their belly button. <laughs> and then the boys end up, yeah, growing these like hybrid ocean creatures. Anyway, How do they birth them? Good question. Helen, this is all <laughs> done through C-section. Oh, okay. Yes. Do they get like big pregnant bellies? Honestly, not really. The, the bellies weren't that big. But the mm. boys, what will happen is they'll wake up in a tank of water and they'll have given birth to these creatures that are underwater with them. And you look down and they're like these amphibian type babies. Whoa. And then do they, can they only give birth once? Are then they just like eaten by these sirens? Edison, this is also a really good question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so there's another aspect of this film where they, they like find bodies of the boys. Like the boys are like, hmm. we saw a body in the water. So I think that they're being discarded. Uh-huh, of course. They're one-time only. After they've given birth or if they can't, yeah, or something, they're kind of like a one-time only. So there's some sinister stuff going on, too. I thought it was just like such an interesting watch. Even though it was super weird, it was still so fascinating. So now it's time for our In Focus segment. Each week we pick an artist and take a look at their filmography and break down the projects and moments that made them the fascinating creatives that they are today. So join us while we grab our little red wagon because we are clearing out that motherfucker's closet and setting all his shit ablaze. <laughs> Let's light up that cigarette and shout, what's love got to do with it? Because this actress <laughs> proves that revenge is best served with tight abs, legs for days, and a whole a lot of heat. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's just take a deep breath and exhale because we are about to embark on the career of an actress whose groove we've been Tay digging since the early 90s. She's tough, commanding, and has arms like an Olympian goddess. It's time to put the fiery career of Angela Bassett in focus. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So we broke down Angela Bassett's career into her most defining moments and movies, and we had to decide what the film was that put her career on the map. Angela Bassett was acting in films previous to this movie. She mm -hmm. was in Boys in the Hood. She also did Malcolm X as well. Yeah, but we talked about both of those on the podcast before, so if you wanted to revisit season three's Oscar special... That's where I discussed Boys in the Hood. And Helen talked about Malcolm X just a few episodes ago when we were discussing Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes. So really the film that we feel put Angela Bassett's career on the map in terms of her being truly the leading lady is What's Love Got to Do With It from mm -hmm. 1993, where she plays Tina Turner. This role actually garnered her a Best Actress in a Leading Role Oscar nomination as mm -hmm. well. So, yes, this is the story of Tina Turner's rise to stardom and her very abusive and volatile relationship with her husband, Ike Turner. Mm -hmm. Played by Lawrence Fishburne. Played by Lawrence Fishburne, who <laughs> I have to say, when I think Lawrence Fishburne, I think The Matrix. I think Morpheus. Right. right. And... After revisiting this film, now I'm just thinking Ike Turner. So I'm going to have to rewatch yeah. The Matrix to get Morpheus back in my mind because right. oh, yeah. this, this leaves an impression for sure. He talks about how for years afterwards, 
women gave him dirty looks every time he went out. Mm. Like, it took years for that to stop happening. And fucking rightfully so. That right. character, I oh, you guys know, I was seething with anger watching this movie. Yeah. How much did you both know about Tina Turner's story prior to watching this film? Honestly, not a lot. I have seen this movie before, but I was young when I watched it. The one thing that I have always associated with this movie is that there's a lot of abuse in it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I saw this and it was on television, which there Mm. could have been some abuse actually cut out. There must have been. Well, yeah. And then when I watched it this time, I was like, oh, man, this is a really graphic portrayal of abuse, especially for a 90s biopic. So I have associated Tina Turner with this movie Mm -hmm. because it is so indelible. Yeah. I thought that she was incredible in this role. I have to say I'm just so glad that we're doing her for In Focus and that I was had the opportunity to watch this because I hadn't in the past and it just opened up so much for me in terms of wanting to know so much more about Tina Turner and like mm-hmm. this week we've gone back and forth, you know, of videos of her performances and stuff and interviews and everything. It's quite a story and performance. Yeah, I thought that Angela Bassett was sen- absolutely sensational in this. Mm-hmm. She is, first of all, a really fantastic lip syncer. Um, yeah. A lot of the time, yeah. you know, we talk about this often in films when it's not the actor's yeah. voice, how distracting it can be. It did not feel mm-hmm. distracting to me. Me Agreed. neither, yeah. Especially when we're talking about someone with like Tina Turner who has an incredibly unique voice that nobody else sounds like it's instantly recognizable so mm-hmm. i thought that was really well done and angela bassett just really captured tina's stage presence her movements the mm. way that she holds her shoulders the way that she kicks her feet it yeah. was all really really precise and incredibly well done i thought she was brilliant brilliant mm-hmm. yeah okay well we had to decide on angela bassett's big three Helen, I think that you have a number one. I sure do. So I watched Waiting to Exhale from 1995 this week. Yes. Uh, First time watch for me. Uh, Here is the description courtesy of IMDb. Based on Terry McMillan's novel, this film follows four very different African-American women and their relationships with the male gender. So this stars, obviously, Angela Bassett, Whitney Houston, Loretta Devine, and Layla Roshan. And it's directed by Forrest Whitaker. Yep. Mm-hmm. So kind of the complete inverse of where we have Regina <laughs> King directing these four, the story right. of four men. This is yeah. Forrest Whitaker directing the story of four women. Yeah, yeah. that's mm-hmm. interesting. The comparison to me that, that struck me most about this is it feels like Sex in the City before Sex in the City. Mm. <laughs> and with four black women instead of four white women like that really was the vibe i was getting from it it's interesting because there are definitely moments in this movie that aren't great like i wouldn't say it's an exceptional film (laughs) yeah yeah the 90s (laughs) yeah but it does you know show these four different black women in the 90s going through the trials and tribulations of romantic relationships it's so kind of strange to say this in 2021 but it was refreshing to watch that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. why is that not happening right now or why is it just feeling like it's starting to happen again it's you know 
Yeah, and this was film was so refreshing at that time. Mm. This was an actual cultural touchstone moment prior to Waiting to Exhale. And we were talking about this in our text or whatever this week. But like prior to this film coming out, the black experience as represented on screen was basically like slaves or like hood. Right. Mm, So this was actually showing these successful black women just living their life and having their man drama. It was a form of representation that black women just hadn't seen up until that point. It hadn't been portrayed in film. And when you have somebody like Angela Bassett as the lead and Whitney Houston, who you have to remember Mm -hmm. the bodyguard came out just a few years before this. Like Whitney was Mm -hmm. one of the biggest stars on the planet at this time. This was a really big deal. So Angela Bassett plays a very intense character. And I have to say... The way that her husband leaves her in this movie is so atrocious. <laughs> They're getting ready to go to this New Year's Eve party. She's in front of the mirror. She has her hair in rollers. She's applying her mascara. She looks fucking stunning. And her husband comes in and says, would you be disappointed if we didn't go to the party? And at first, she's kind of like, oh, thank God. I don't feel like going to this party. And then he says, actually, what I mean is I'm going and you're not coming because I'm going there with my assistant, Kelly Preston. <laughs> It's like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) This is like my favorite scene in the movie. I love it. I love her tearing through his shit and just loading up that wagon, bringing it out and lights that cigarette. Yeah, let his shit burn. She is a woman scorned. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she's quite a force in this movie, and you Mm -hmm. can just see her commanding presence. So it was actually announced recently that ABC is rebooting this to be a series produced by Lee Daniels. Oh, wow. Amazing. I did not see that. Yeah. That's really cool. That's really, really cool. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, Edison, we're moving on to number two, and I know you're going to be swooning. So have at it. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Okay. So... Number two on Angela Bassett's big three is from 1998, and it is called How Stella Got Her Groove Back. Uh, (laughs) It is also written by Terry McMillan, who Mm -hmm. based on a novel by her, right? She also wrote Waiting to Exhale. Mm -hmm. And this is a story about Stella. Stella is a highly successful 40-something San Francisco stockbroker who is persuaded by her colorful New York girlfriend, Delilah, played by Whoopi Goldberg, to take a Mm -hmm. well-deserved first class vacation to Jamaica. There she meets (laughs) want to talk about Swoon? Mm -hmm, She meets Winston Shakespeare played by Tay Diggs and I I'm sorry. Winston Shakespeare? What a name. I simply do not have words. (sighs) The beach is that way is all you need to say. The beach is that way. Wow. (laughs) This movie is so good. It's so fun. Mm. It's very 90s in a lot of ways, but it is beautiful. Jamaica is so gorgeous, and she's there, and the beach. And Angela Bassett is outrageously beautiful, and she carries all of the confidence that this character would have, right? She is someone who's Mm. successful in her career. She knows what she wants. She fights with her sisters. She is confident. Angela Bassett, the woman, the actress, has that Mm. presence, that authority. It's a really great role. I, I have to just say it 800 times. I can't remember the last time I saw anybody on screen as almost overwhelmingly attractive as Tay Diggs in this film. 
It's not just because he's objectively beautiful. It's because he plays this character with such charm. I was like, am I actually falling in love with... Like, girl, don't go back to San Francisco. (laughs) Um, Regina King is also in this. She plays one of Angela Bassett's sisters. And Mm -hmm. she's hilarious. They have a really great rapport with one another too. But Angela Bassett is the center and the star of this whole film. She carries it. She's Stella. She is a really amazing leading lady. And this film holds up. Like, it's better than I was expecting it to be. I just loved it. Yeah. What's number three, Sinclair? Oh, boy. Number three. (laughs) (laughs) We actually went with Supernova from 2000. Directed by Mm. Walter Hill. This is a fun one. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Supernova stars Angela Bassett, James Spader, who I found surprisingly attractive in this. So, oh, interesting. Okay. Robin Tooney and Peter Fascinelli. The mm. most, like, 2000s cast ever, honestly. So 2000s. Okay, so this is a sci-fi movie. This movie does everything we have learned should not be done in a sci-fi movie to the point where the IMDb description made me laugh out loud. <laughs> this is it. This is really funny. I, lo- I laugh so hard at this. A deep space rescue and recovery spaceship with a crew of six receives a distress call from a mining operation 3,432 light years away. A rescue operation via dimension jump is made. Bad idea. (laughs) Bad idea. Oh my god. That is brilliant. Bad idea in a synopsis. Bad idea. It's because we know that anytime a spaceship answers a distress call, it's like just going to go to shit. We we know this. This is a classic sci-fi trope. You know that you are doomed if you answer a distress call. Yeah, this movie is so, so much. I have a fun fact about this movie. Walter Hill, the director, used the name Thomas Hill for his Mm. IMDb credit on this film and just his credit in general. And normally directors would use the pseudonym Alan Smithy when they don't want to be associated with a film. So this oh. is a thing. If a director wants to dis- dissociate themselves with a film and disown a film and their work on it, Ooh. they use the name Alan Smithy for their credit. But this name had started to become a bit obvious, so he just went with another name, Thomas Hill. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Honestly, this film is too mediocre to stand out at this time. Ugh. So disappointing. Yes. I actually got this film mixed up with Sphere. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, yeah, Supernova, that film with Dustin Hoffman and Angela Bassett. But it's actually Sphere that Dustin Hoffman is in with Sharon Stone. Sharon Stone, right. But yeah. there, were, there were so many of these sci-fi movies at this time. Mm-hmm. There was Supernova. There was Sphere, Event Horizon, Red mm. Planet, Pitch Black. Mission to Mars. Mm-hmm. Like, this was a thing at that time. There were so many. You're probably wondering, why did we pick this <laughs> for Angela Bassett? <laughs> but it's because big celebrities were doing these movies at this time. It was a big deal mm-hmm. to be in one of these big sci-fi films. And even though this was a bomb and it's not a great film, it's important in the sense that there's not a lot of big sci-fi films with women at the helm in mm. general. 
but there's also not a lot of black actresses that lead yes. these big sci-fi films as well. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of black actresses that get the chance to play a Ripley character. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. in these big sci-fi movies. And Angela Bassett is playing the heroine in this film. Though I do feel like she should have just been on her own. She's working with James Spader a lot in this film. And I think that she could have just, it could have been her. Just yeah. solo. Mm-hmm. She know? deserved more. She deserved definitely deserved more. And I know that this film was trying to separate itself from films like Alien. But I definitely think that Angela Bassett could have been just the most badass solo leading lady in this film. Mm-hmm. But she's badass in general anyway. Yeah. <laughs> she's really great in this. And she's so believable in this authoritative part. She plays this medical professional that's on the ship. And she just has so much presence and authority. You just believe her. You believe her in those kind of positions. I honestly really recommend that everyone go watch this trailer. (laughs) Oh, the trailer, (laughs) On YouTube, I sent it to you guys. The trailer for Supernova has to be one of the worst trailers that I've seen. It is like the 2000s just threw up all over it. Sugar Ray, I Just Want to Fly is the main song used in this trailer. That's offense number one. I just want to fly. Yes, and the trailer just shows you the entire movie, pretty much. So you don't even need to watch it. Just watch the trailer. It's the entire movie from beginning to end. It's the whole plot. <laughs> the best part is this trailer ends with, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so early 2000s. But, yeah, I mean... This Angela Bassett, we picked this for her number three mm-hmm. because it is what it is, whatever. She did this, <laughs> this, this movie, Supernova, but she's amazing in it. So we're going to forgive that the movie isn't great. She's wonderful in it. She's a superstar. <laughs> okay, Edison, we're going to get into Angela Bassett's pop culture moment. But I uh-huh. think that this is the time. And you know what I mean by this? Mm-hmm. It's time, Edison. It's time. It's time. <sighs> this is really hard. But <laughs> I am know. trying to make peace with this. We're here for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. In 2015, Angela Bassett made her directorial debut with a lifetime made-for-TV movie called Whitney. <laughs> okay. Allegedly, this film was based on the life of Whitney Houston. Unfortunately, this was an unforgivable dumpster fire piece of garbage bullshit that was also not only horrendous as a film, but wildly offensive to the memory of Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. This film should have been called Bobby. It mm. was the reason why it was so unforgivable was because very clearly it felt like Angela Bassett had built the story of this film and all of the little personal stories by talking to Bobby Brown and asking him about the stories. It was so, so wildly one-sided. Whitney had only two notes in this film. Histrionic, drug addict, Mm. or diva bitch. Insecure diva Mm. bitch. Neither of which encapsulate what Whitney actually was like based Mm -hmm. on what literally every other person who has known her throughout her career and worked with her says about her. 
So I found this film to be horrendous. And the thing is, I have always loved Angela Bassett. But when this came out, Mm. it felt to me like a wild betrayal. She worked with Whitney. They knew each other, right? They were girlfriends. This is three years after Whitney died. And I just thought, no, what are you Mm. doing? It felt like exploitative and awful. And I did not understand. So from that moment, I said, well, Angela Bassett, you are dead to me. And that sucked because I love her as an actress and she's spectacular. Honestly, just us mentioning the name Angela Bassett would trigger this rant. And you've you've said Angela Bassett, you're dead to me multiple times on the podcast. Yes, I I know. So this is the moment where I I will never forgive this film Mm. existing. It is an unforgivable mess. But I had this moment of like, okay, I think I can separate Angela Bassett, the disgraceful film director, from Angela Bassett, the incredible movie star, and just pretend that this other one doesn't actually exist. So that I'm making my peace. And Angela Bassett, okay. I'm sorry to steal your pop culture moment, but right. I have. <laughs> And it's just to be clear, this is not a pop culture moment. This is Edison coming to terms with something that's been yeah. haunting him for years. Yeah. This is Angela Bassett's pop culture moment as it pertains to Edison. Edison. Yeah. <laughs> Angela Bassett, if you're listening, I'm sure that you could not give a single fuck about my thought on this, but you know what? That's okay. All right. So, Sinclair, tell us about Angela Bassett's hidden gem. Okay, so I actually watched a documentary from 2020 that I found on Crave called Between the World and Me. It's Mm. directed by Camila Forbes. Between the World and Me is a book written by American author Ta-Nehisi Coates, and it's him writing as a father trying to explain to his 15-year-old son what it's like to be black in America. It touches on the injustices that are reality for people who are black in America and just the struggle with having to navigate that. This doc is a cast of black actors and they're actually doing readings from this book. Hmm. So Mahershala Ali is in this, a lot of prominent black actors. Angela Bassett, of course, is in this. And really these readings are mixed in with some archival footage and different events that have happened and it's this father trying to explain to his son why these injustices have happened and why nobody seems to be held accountable for them and i was watching this and i thought what a hard conversation it would be Mm. to try to explain to your Mm -hmm. son like these violent acts are happening to people that look like you and justice isn't being served And Mm -hmm. the people who you think are supposed to protect you don't. It's this big conversation for a parent to have with their child, especially if you want your child to feel safe. But Mm -hmm. you also have to present them with the reality that... They're not safe? Yeah, yeah, they aren't. And you have to be prepared for that. Angela Bassett has a specific piece in this where she reads the author... It's almost like he's reminding himself and his 15-year-old son that... In the media, there's these perfect white lives that you watch Mm. when you're growing up and you're watching television, like The Wonder Years and Growing Pains. And there's these perfect TV families. It's almost like you have to tell your son that 
hey, your life isn't going to be anything like these lives that you're seeing on mm-hmm. TV. Like this is just a curtain that's masking this unbalanced society. But it's this really great doc and the writing, it makes you want to read the book if you haven't because the writing is so poetically done. It's really beautiful yeah. and really powerful. So if you can, check it out between the world and cool. me. Watch the doc or read the book. It was it was yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. Cool. Okay, Helen, what's up and coming? Okay, a couple of projects coming up for Angela Bassett. One is called Gunpowder Milkshake. Hmm. Here is the description courtesy of IMDb. A secret sisterhood comes to the rescue of a mother-daughter assassin team. Hmm. This actually sounds quite interesting. Along with Angela Bassett, the cast features Carla Gugino, Lena Headey, Michelle Yeoh, and others. Fun. And there is rumored on her IMDb a sequel to Waiting to Exhale called Getting Happy, although I feel like that has been something that's just been discussed for years. For literally like 20 years, yes. Yeah, I don't imagine that's actually going to happen, especially since it's been announced that there's a series Right. Coming, uh, mm-hmm. to ABC of this story. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, there's only one way to end this wonderful in focus of Angela Bassett, mm. and that's by playing a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill with her very fiery filmography. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, Edison, you start us off. What film do you want to marry? Okay, well, I'm going to marry Avengers Endgame. I am obsessed with that movie. I've watched it a thousand times. She is obviously not a main character in that film. It's hard for her to for anybody to be a main character really, but her character in that world, Ramonda, is amazing, right? Mm-hmm. She plays Black Panther's mom. It's a really really brilliant character and she's perfect for it. She's got the regal and queen and I just love this movie so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you, Helen? Um I'm actually going to marry Soul, which mm-hmm. we talked about recently. Angela Bassett voices the character of Dorothea. Soul was such a lovely Pixar heartwarming film. I loved what it had to say just about, you know, your purpose in life. And I think that would be a great message to join with for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, Sinclair? <laughs> Well, I'm going to marry a 90s movie that is really cool called Strange Days, directed by Catherine Bigelow, because I love me a fun sci-fi 90s movie, and I love me some Catherine Bigelow. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to marry that one. Okay, Edison. I mean, I think this might be kind of obvious. (laughs) What film do you want to fuck? It's how Stella got her groove back. A hundred percent. Honestly, honestly. And it's not even just for Tay Diggs. She is also incredibly sexy in this. And they have a really great chemistry with each other. Like, this is just a very, very sexy movie. Everybody who Mm -hmm. watches this movie is going to find something that they want to fuck in this movie. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) He's getting all riled. He's getting all riled. (laughs) How about you, Ellen? I mean, part of me wanted to pick Waiting to Exhale because it's about 
these relationships, but there isn't actually a lot of sexiness in this film. Mm. No, um, I'm thinking of the one scene where the guy <laughs> the guy has sex with Whitney and her facial expressions when he's done in like yeah. three seconds. It's like all very disappointing sex, to yeah. be honest. So I'm actually going to go with This Means War. <laughs> oh, absolutely you should. Yeah, mm. for uh, Chris Pine and... Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Yeah. So hot. Yeah. What about you, Sinclair? Okay. Well, hear me out. Um, I'm going to go with Supernova, (laughs) even though I thought it was such a shitstorm of a movie. (laughs) I'm going with Supernova because in the movie, they have zero gravity sex scenes. Nice. Really? Yes. So there's a couple sex scenes where the characters are having zero gravity sex. So they're just floating. Hmm. Yes. A lot of floating and fucking going on in that movie. (laughs) And I mean, that looks intriguing, to be honest. So, yeah, yeah, that's my pick. Okay, Mm. Edison, what film do you want to kill? There's only one, and and it's the Whitney. <laughs> du- it's the Whitney film. Oh, you've made mm-hmm. so much progress in this episode. No, Edison. but this is the best. This is my real. This is how I really get chance. over it. Is just to kill it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Helen. Um, I'm gonna kill Green Lantern. I haven't oh, seen yeah. Green Lantern, but I've heard it's horrible. It is so... atrocious. Yeah. So we can go. It's fine. <laughs> it totally. Can. And you're never gonna watch that. Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) Sinclair? Okay, this is great. I'm going to kill Music of the Heart, Mm. where Meryl Streep teaches violin to inner city Harlem kids. I can't. (laughs) I did consider killing that one. Gone. Goodbye. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Our website is talkmovietomepodcast.com. And to become a Patreon member, head to patreon.com slash talkmovietome. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. Shoo, 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 vedoo, shoo, shoo. Ugh. <laughs>